Welcome to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and dedicated to silencing the chatter about what women should and shouldn't be doing as they age. Here to bring you stories about women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, women who are leading inspiring lives that make a difference to themselves and others, are Catherine Marino and Gail Zalitsky. Hello, I'm Gail. Hello, I'm Catherine. We are the active voice of Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined, and we're delighted to welcome you to today's episode. Each week, we showcase vital women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s who continue to shatter the myths that we become invisible as we age. The 30-minute conversation with our guest focuses on several themes that we've agreed upon in advance. Today, we are delighted to present Karen Crilly, who is 85 years old and recently retired as a California licensed marriage, family, and child therapist, specializing in the field of bereavement counseling. She worked with adults, adolescents, and children to guide each through the grieving process. Karen retired in 2012 to fulfill her lifelong dream of living in France. Her intention was to live one year in France to learn the language, new cooking skills, and be immersed in the culture. After one year, she extended her long-stay visa in order to remain in Aix-en-Provence, France, for another year. She came back to California to write the memoir of her adventure, The Blue Satin Nightgown, My French Makeover at Age 78. It's available at Amazon.com. The first chapter is called Scattered Dreams, and that is a good place to start our conversation. So, Karen, it's a pleasure to welcome you to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you, Gail. It's a pleasure to be here, definitely. (laughs) Yes, we're happy to have you, and we can't wait to learn more about your adventure. And so, let's start with talking about scattered dreams and and what took you where on this on this adventure well uh scattered dreams um is just the first chapter of my book uh so uh you asked me i think in addition of what took me on this adventure um i as you mentioned i had retired as a a marriage and family therapist and needed something new in my life um, to take the place of um, being a therapist. So I had always dreamed of living in France. It just uh, had called to me for many years. Uh, In fact, my husband and I had our honeymoon in France. We started out in Paris and we drove down to the Riviera um stopping along the way when we got to the town of Aix-en-Provence we fell in love with that town it's just a charming charming uh town i want to call it a village but actually it's a town it's larger than a village uh, 138,000 people live in Aix-en-Provence and they have two Um, accredited universities to which uh, students come to from all over the world. So many people have found uh, Aix-en-Provence to be 
as delightful as my husband and I did. Uh, so um, I, w we wanted to go back. We both, uh, the morning we left Aix-en-Provence from our honeymoon, we said, we'll be back. And unfortunately, he passed on before um, we had the opportunity to move back. Um, <clears throat> so um, when I did have the opportunity, uh, when I retired, I just uh, said, okay, what are you going to do? You have always wanted to live in France, uh, but that was with Bill. Um, do you still want to go? And so I, the answer was a very strong yes, yes, I want to go. Uh, it was my dream, so I did. That's so you were 78 at that time? Yes, I was. I was 78 when I moved to France. And, and how, how did you plan it? What, what, you know, what did you have to do in order to leave to go, go live there for a year? Well, the first thing I had to do was to get a long-stay visa, which I did in uh, Los Angeles. I live in Southern California, so Los Angeles is where the French consulate is. And so I... Um, it's not a difficult thing to get a visa, long-stay visa. It's just a process, but it does take time, and um, so I had to plan it early uh, to get that. The other thing, the much larger uh, project was getting my house ready to lease. Mm -hmm. I had hoped I would be able to lease it furnished, but unfortunately, that wasn't the case. I had to, uh, people wanted it um, without furniture. And so uh, I had to <laughs> go through everything to downsize to the smallest um, uh, <laughs> locker I could, I'm, I'm struggling to find the word, the storage, storage base because I didn't see any point in paying a lot of money to store things I wasn't going to be interested in later when I came back. Mm -hmm. So it took me three months to um, downsize to the smallest uh, place I could find. And did people rent your place for a year? They did, yes, yes. My place is three bedrooms, three bathrooms, and so it was very fortunate. I found three young single women who all worked in the area and all wanted their own bedroom, their own bath, and so the place was perfect for them. And they, in fact, stayed for a year. Uh -huh. and, uh, then when I decided to another year in France my second year they <clears throat> moved out but I had a realtor who uh, took care of leasing it again for me for the second year uh -huh. <laughs> okay Karen did you stay for two years because of the visa limitations or you just decided that no, was sufficient I, time I was ready to come home by the end of the second year I, uh, I had to extend the Long, when I decided to stay for a second year, I had to extend the long-stay visa in mm -hmm. while I was there in France, and, and that was not a problem. Uh, it's just, again, a process one goes through to do it. Mm -hmm. 
So um, if you don't mind, let's go back a little bit. For okay. And uh, I'm wondering, because you were a bereavement counselor, how did that inform your experience when you lost your husband? Did it, did it, did it, did it inform it or didn't it make any difference? Um, I'm sure it helped. Uh, however, um, it's an intellect. What you're asking about is uh, an intellectual process. And of course, bereavement is an emotional process. And so, um, I knew all the steps and stages and all of that, but I still had to go through a lot. And actually, the time prior to his passing was much more difficult. Uh, the last five years of his life, I had to have a caregiver here to stay with him while I was um, working. So um, that was very, very difficult. I'm sure. And of course, and of course, not having a caregiver, I don't mean to say having a caregiver was very difficult. It was very supportive for me. However, uh, the process of his demise was what was so difficult because um, one always tries to keep uh, the idea of their loved ones just as vital as they were when you met them. Mm -hmm. And in fact, he wasn't. So that's what was so difficult. It does sound that way. Do you mind sharing what it was that he died of? Oh, he had uh, complications of Parkinson's disease. Mm. He had Parkinson's for 18 years, which is a very long time for uh, someone with that disease. However, it was only the last five years that it really uh, affected his life. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm sorry you had to go through that. Thank you. Thank you. So back to France. Yes. 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 <laughs> well, first of all, you called your book The Blue Satin Nightgown. Mm -hmm. French makeover. So how did that come about? What Did you dream up that title yourself? And were there any <laughs> adventures you had that you'd like to share with us? Oh. <laughs> well, the, um, the Blue Satin Nightgown came about um, through uh, an interesting episode when I had been there for about uh, well, it was after Christmas because uh, my dear friends in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, put out a uh, newsletter at Christmas time stating that I was uh, living in France now and uh, how fabulous they thought that was and how brave they thought I was to do that. Mm -hmm. And so immediately a mutual friend of ours who I had met at a party at their house some 25 years prior to my <laughs> moving to France, said, oh, I'm gonna be skiing in Switzerland. Um, and I will have time when I'm finished skiing. Uh, I'd like to have Karen's um, uh, contact information. And so, uh, by the way, I go by Karen. Um, it's the Swedish, uh, pronunciation of Karen. So I'm sorry, uh, I, that just slipped out without me 
No problem, Karen. <laughs> Thank you. I'm named after my Swedish grandmother, and she was Karen Lundquist. So I like to honor her by uh, calling myself Karen, too. Yes, yes. So, Thank you for setting us straight on that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, it's not always so easy for a lot of people to uh, pick up a strange pronunciation like that. Yes. Anyway, um, uh, in when uh, when I heard that he was coming or we were going to be meeting, we started uh, emailing and then talking on the phone, and things just got a little um, uh, more intimate as the time went on. And uh, I decided I'd best have a new, um, <laughs> some new lingerie. And uh, people in France love lingerie. Yes. And, and there's an attitude in France that uh, women never feel like they're too old to dress in a sexy way. Uh, in the bedroom. I don't mean to say on the street, but in the bedroom. Uh -huh. And they love to play the part of a femme fatale. <laughs> and <laughs> so anyway, I uh, decided to uh, uh, exercise more and beef up my exercise program. And I was working on getting my stomach flattened out and doing all the things one does to try and get in shape. And uh, then I decided to go to the laundry shop and see what I could find. Well, I went in with such fear and trepidation because of my age. And I wasn't aware at that time that um, the French uh, belief about loving uh, lingerie and so um, I was so surprised that the lady who waited on me was a, didn't bat an eye when I came in and I said oh I'm looking for a nightgown and I thought she'd lead me to the kind of a granny type with a high <laughs> neck <laughs> but no she led me right where I needed to be <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, I um, found the one I uh, wanted after quite a bit of time because it seems that most of them were not cut in the way that were, was flattering to me. And so, but I did find one that I was very happy with. And it happens to be blue and it happens to be satin. And <laughs> so there you have it. There, <laughs> <laughs> she wrapped it in um, some very lovely tissue, which is the custom in, in France. They love packaging as well. And so um, wherever you go in France, uh, things are packaged in a beautiful way. So I, fact, ha I have to ask, did, did you have a chance <laughs> to wear it? Well, unfortunately, on that particular trip, we decided to meet in Amsterdam. Oh. And, uh, yeah, yeah. So I flew from Ex, well, not from Ex and Provence because there's no airport. I had to go to Marseille. So I flew from Marseille to 
uh, Amsterdam, and uh, we met there. And um, it it did not turn out as I had hoped it would turn out. Mm-hmm. And I think it didn't turn out how he hoped it would turn out either, because there was absolutely no uh, intimacy. The whole and I, we were there for a week. We had already planned to be together for a week, and. Um, uh, there was nothing. It was just a miserable week, with the exception <laughs> no of he did, no connection at all. And so, at the end of the week, I wrapped my blue scent nightgown up in its beautiful tissue and put it back in the suitcase. And uh, so, anyway, it uh, that was quite a disappointment. But I had other opportunities, and so um, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to hear it. Uh, uh, it, it, it was a wonderful, wonderful two years out of my life. <laughs> Aaron, are, can you describe in any way, kind of, it, was there a typical day, a rhythm to your, your life in France? Well, the typical, um, it, I couldn't say each day was typical, but there were typical weeks perhaps mm-hmm. uh the most exciting thing happened after i moved there was that i learned there's a um aagp which stands for anglo-american uh, aagp uh group of provence and so it's 400 strong they're uh, mostly English-speaking people. They're expats from all over the world who live in Aix-en-Provence and the surrounding areas. And they uh, provide opportunities to socialize, such as uh, every Tuesday and Thursday mornings, they meet at a uh, coffee house and... Um, with the intention of uh, French people coming to it to learn English and Engl- English speakers wanting to learn French. So uh, there are some lessons that go on there. Mm-hmm. And in addition to that, they once a month they have a gourmet club that um, goes to uh, gourmet restaurants around uh, the area. So I, I immediately joined that and went to some fabulous fabulous, uh, Michelin restaurants that the meals were unbelievable. As you can imagine, with uh, dedicated French chefs uh, just trying to outdo each other and to keep their their stars, too, because to um, have a Michelin star, one, two, or three, you you know you have to uh, meet certain requirements, so that was exciting. So that was on uh, a larger scale. They also had a hiking club, and um, so there were many uh, opportunities to meet people, and um, which I did. And I went to another thing I did when I went there. I uh, signed up for language school. So I met a lot of people there 
In fact, my very best French woman, who uh, Madame Campeston, who uh, had a cooking school at her home, and so I signed up for that, of course, and she and I became really good friends, and uh, we still communicate. <laughs> That's nice. Yeah. After, after the uh, second year, I mean, when did you know that you wanted to come back? Well, this is not in my book, but um, I, I will say, uh, when I realized that I was not going to meet a French man of my dreams <laughs> <laughs> and settle down in France for the rest of my life, um, which a lot of American women do, um, I realized I was going to, when I realized I was going to turn 80 that year, I thought, you know, I've never had a problem in America, uh, finding partners. And so um, I think it's time for me to get home because I could stay here in France for the rest of my life. I love it so much. But um, I really, um, finding a mate began to be a, a priority for me. So that was when I knew I needed to go home. I think you were widowed twice, am I right? Yes, yes, yes. Uh -huh. I married a man uh, right out of high school. We were high school sweethearts. We had three children, and uh, he died when he was 38. And so that was the first time I was a widow at 38. Oh and then after uh, 10 years of being single, I met my second husband, and uh, we were married for 23 years. Mm -hmm. so. Yes. Did you fulfill your wish when you came back to America? Yes, I did. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> the first thing that happened was I reconnected with the man I was with before I left, and uh, but that did not work out so well uh, coming back. So um, I've had oh, three or four um, men in my life. Uh, but right now, I'm happy to report I'm very much in love with a man. And for the first time in my life, I've allowed a man to move in with me. And so <laughs> I've always had a fear of, losing my independence and uh but uh fortunately he's a very sophisticated man who understands my need for independence and he does too and he's a writer and he's authored several books and he continues to write and i write and we uh talk a lot about writing uh it's a big part of our conversations so you're working on a second book now I am. I am indeed. And uh, I use that term loosely about working on it because I've been working on it for four years now. Uh. But, uh, <laughs> I, I recently got serious and I am uh, diligently pursuing it. I got focused on uh, the title for one thing, and the title is 
living in extraordinary act three. And so, Love that. Yeah, that's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. I, I would have to say, after listening to you, that being 85, uh, you, your age doesn't really affect you, does it? Not, not to the extent it does for a lot of people, because I just uh, know how mental age is. And that sounds um, strange to be saying, but it really is a very mental thing. I mean, we can't help getting older. That's inevitable. But in terms of how our age affects us, I just am very, very um, convinced it's very mental. And in fact, um, do, are you aware of um, Bruce Lipton? Uh, he is a, a man who wrote a book t over 10 years ago now called The Biology of Belief. And uh, he determined, <clears throat> he's a scientist, so this doesn't just come out of his wishful thinking, that the attit our attitude and our mental state is more effective than our DNA. And so people are now beginning to understand that and realize that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. 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 Is there anything you'd like our listeners to know or think about as they move through the decades? Well, um, uh, definitely this idea that um, attitude is everything because mm -hmm. uh, I, I just, and, and not to have a closed mind. Uh, a lot of people have an idea about aging that you have to get sick and you're going to go downhill and uh, a lot of things. And it's just not true mm -hmm. uh, unless you believe that that's true. And if you believe that that's true, it is true. It's like Ford said, he, <laughs> uh, let's see, how did he say that? Something about uh, either you believe you can or you can't. And either way, you're right. So <laughs> it's the same thing with aging. That's <laughs> I also uh, believe in gratitude. I, I am grateful every single day for all that I have been given. And uh, I find that the more gratitude I have in my life, the more comes to me. And so uh, at night before I go to sleep, and it isn't, uh, unusual. I hear a lot of people say this, but every night before I go to sleep, I go through my gratitude list, and uh, it's amazing how how much I have to be grateful for. <laughs> That's so I wonderful. I also uh, believe in um, physical exercise. I work with a trainer, and I think it's really important for people of any age uh, to have physical exercise. But uh, if um, I am not disciplined enough to do it on my own. So I really appreciate having a trainer who keeps me uh, in good shape. Um, my balance is good, uh, you know, it's, which is something that a lot of older people have trouble with balance. But 
I just think movement is so, so important. <laughs> I think I'm going to buy a blue satin nightgown. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you won't. You won't. Be, you won't be disappointed. I'm going to move to France. <laughs> you won't be disappointed with that either. So. Oh, this has been just delightful, Karen. Well, Karen, Karen. Ah, uh, thank you. I yes. appreciate that, Catherine. Did you have anything else to ask? Well, I would love to talk more, but I'll just say thank you, Karen. This is delightful and inspiring and ah, thank, thank so thank you. you for joining us today oh i have so a, yes i have a great big smile on my face and i do too stay <laughs> there for the rest of the day after this oh good 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 thank you <laughs> and listeners we want to hear from you please share your thoughts in our facebook group at women over 70 aging reimagined Become an active participant in our community and join us at our Zoom events. Access our weekly Wednesday podcasts. And if you know a vital woman over 70 who would be a great guest, please recommend her to us at womenover70.com. We'll see you next Wednesday on Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. Thank you for listening to Women Over 70, Aging Reimagined. If you like what you've heard today, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen. In what ways are you shattering the myths that women over 70 are no longer relevant or visible? How are you celebrating aging? Join with us. Make your voice heard. Find us at womenover70.com.